Hello, Trinity Grace Church family. I hope you all are well. I send immense amounts of love your way. It is a real encouragement to me that we are able to find alternative ways to gather and to grow in Christ together and to just pour out our hearts before God and one another and to be hopefully nourished with, with hope, uh, even in uh, a very challenging week. Uh, you know, uncertainty about what the upcoming days are going to be like, but I hope that uh, you are experiencing uh, just a lot of love around you, and even if you're in an anxious place, uh, that you're able to vent that to God and to people around you and receive receive their care. So just uh, immense amounts of love to you. I'm not sure how you've spent the last couple of days with an alternative schedule. We've had some kids out of school, work, you know, working from home situations. I just actually finished all of these books, uh, which was a real challenge, but I was able to do it. So just to set the bar for what's possible, uh, working from home. Uh, actually, this is not my home, this is my office, just to uh, remove any mystery. Uh, hopefully you're sending some funny memes to your friends. Uh, the best one I've seen so far is uh, World Health Organization, who um, officially ruled that um, dogs cannot get this virus, and so they were released from quarantine. So literally, who let the dogs out? Um, so just hold on to that. That's for you. Um, keep, it, keep it in. Uh, also wanted to let you know, hopefully you're in a comfortable place as you're, as you're taking in uh, our, our message this morning. Um, but if you're feeling a little bit distant from the norm, uh, there's a link below that you can click on that you can pump in basketball sounds or the sounds of slamming doors or the sounds of the farmer's market if you want to feel a little more at home uh, and like, like we're in middle school 51. These are free jokes, by the way. I'm just, just wanting you to know that they're out there for you. So let's get into it. Uh, we, we're going to take a look at Psalm 23 this morning, which is a step outside of our normal Lent series that we had planned. But I just thought it was so appropriate to meditate on this remarkably simple psalm that we maybe the first psalm that we hear when we're kids, but is also a substantial resource to us throughout all of our lives. And uh, it's been so important to try to connect with the, the basics of intimacy with, with God, with Christ, to be able to vent our souls to one another. I just to share really briefly, I had an experience in my house the other morning where I made myself kind of sit down and pray and read the lectionary and connect with God before I went to the screens. And um, this was like March 10th. So it was just like, I mean, obviously everything was happening already, but the, the widespread cancellations hadn't occurred yet. Actually, I was about to get the news that our parent well speaker wasn't going to be able to fly into New York. And that sort of precipitated a lot of other things after that, um, you know, happening. And um, I was reading, and it's this moment, this sort of obscure moment in Genesis 42 where uh, Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brothers. He's already come through the drama at Potiphar's wife's house. He's been in jail. He's finally gotten out of jail, and he's become the second in charge in Pharaoh's court in, in Egypt. And his brothers come to him, and so much time has passed that they don't recognize him. They don't recognize that this is their brother, that they sold him into slavery, and they're asking for help because there's a famine in the land. And, um, Joseph is working through an interpreter, but he's obviously understanding everything that his brothers say. And it was this moment, and I, you know, it's a, a, a little detail in the story, but um, he had everything that they had confiscated when they first came into the court. And then when he sends them home to speak with their father and to find their other brother, um, who, who he already knows a little bit about, um, he. Uh, he has the silver that he confiscated from them uh, put back in their in their bags, and um, 
and they're traveling home and they wake up or, or this moment happens where they open their bags and they find the silver that, that he, had put, he had put in there. And it says that their hearts sank and they said, what has God done to us? And that phrase just leapt out to me because I didn't even know it, but just an hour later, in several ways, my heart was going to sink at the news I was going to receive. And um, I felt like it was a preparation that God had given me that um, actually the silver in their bags, though it seemed like devastation to them, and certainly was bad news on, on, on some real level, it was also only one small part of the larger plan that God was in the middle of working, that actually the silver in their bag represented God's kindness, God's provision and protection, his care for them, his ultimate redemption of his people, his covenant faithfulness. And it was just uh, such a good like home-hitting reminder for me that um, when I have those moments where my heart sinks, I have to go to God and say, I know I don't see the full picture here. I know there's a way that you're working something that I don't fully see. And that doesn't uh, make it trite or diminish the real difficulties of the situations that we find ourselves in, but it is a way for us to go back to the covenant faithfulness of God and say, even when my heart sinks, I can go to, uh, to Yahweh. I can go uh, to the love of Christ and remember that our God is a promise-keeping God. And so... Uh, there are certainly ways that we would never choose to grow that come into our uh, circumstances in life. And for me, for some reason, Lent is a season where that seems to happen more often. Um, honestly, and this is something I don't fully understand, but the, the last few Lents, um, when I've made the most uh, uh, deliberate and maybe even intense um, uh, moves to try to fast or cut something out of my life and make a real intense move towards towards God, uh, so, you know, things have just b- blown up. Really difficult situations have come into my life. A few years ago, I was in the middle of Lent, uh, in the middle of a fast like I had never done before. I was seeking God, and a dear, dear friend of mine was in a motorcycle accident, and I had to travel. Uh, I had to travel to another city. I was in an intensive care hospital uh, room um, uh, on and off for nine straight days, was praying for, uh, for a miracle. And uh, in some ways, I think back, it's like, God, what, what was going on there? And, and in other ways, I'm like, maybe God was preparing me for this immensely difficult time. Uh, uh, March 5th, in the middle of Lent two years ago, our church went through one of the most tragic things any of us have ever experienced as, um, as, as we, we still are, 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 are grieving the loss that we experienced as a community during, during that season. And, and those are times where you look back and we would ne- never have chosen to walk through them. And the results were immensely, immensely painful and not to be diminished at all. And yet there were times where God was present. God was, um, I think, even mercifully kind in the middle of real immense pain. It was some of the times where I've seen uh, uh, neighbors and, and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ take care of one another in some of the most inspiring ways I've ever seen. And so they're not ways that we would choose to grow, but they're ways that um, they may afford us an opportunity to see the shining care of God in some unique uh, and new ways in our life. And so these moments are opportunities. And uh, I say that with the full weight of understanding that, that that doesn't diminish their challenge or make the pain go away or make the uncertainty go away. Uh, Rodney Stark, who's written uh, several really helpful books on the rise of the, of the movement of Jesus in a, in a historical context, ha- noted that these moments of opportunity, these moments of like widespread you know, cultural um, challenges or problems, 
uh, always have presented an opportunity for followers of Jesus. He says um, in one of his books on the rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire, he says, Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent urban problems. And I love that because it's it's sort of putting that you know, the things Jesus said were most important, loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as, as yourself, into practical laboratory work in real social situations. He goes on to say, to cities filled with homelessness and the impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments that we don't consider each other just on the basis of what's your job, what's your resume, what's your skin color, what's your socioeconomic status, but we are we are family and gathering around the table in Christ. He goes on to say, to cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. That in each instance, and of course the church's history is not perfect by any means, but the true heart of the of followers of Jesus living out the way of Jesus always it provides an opportunity to be a shining example of the covenant-keeping, uh, uh, risk-taking, sacrificial love of Jesus in, in a particular place, and especially in moments of challenges. So where do we turn to do that? We can't uh, maintain a presence like that, however inspiring it might be, out of our own natural resources. So where do we turn? Of course we turn to God, um, but in particular in the scriptures, I think we can turn to the tremendous resources of the Psalms. The whole narrative of the scriptures is, is helpful for us, um, but there's something particularly helpful about the soul vent that takes place in the Psalms that helps us sort of merge together the, the tension, the difficulty, the challenge we might be facing in the world, our longing for help from God, our need to, to express our need in a sense, and the Psalms help give us language. I love how Eugene Peterson uh, puts it. He says, uh, in speaking of the Psalms, I need a language that is large enough to maintain continuities, supple enough to maintain nuances across a lifetime that brackets child and adult experiences, and courageous enough to explore all the countries of sin and salvation, mercy and grace, creation and covenant, anxiety and trust, unbelief and faith that com com uh, comprise the continental human condition. The Psalms are this large, supple, and courageous language. Um, they're a place for us to turn and bring the full scope of our emotional life. There's nothing that you're feeling, whether it's um, apathy or anxiety, whether it's uh, deep, deep, immense love or deep, immense fear that you can't bring to God in prayer. And the Psalms help put language in your mouth for how to pray. Ellen Davis, a scholar from Duke, says, The Psalms model ways of talking to God that are honest yet not obvious. They may guide our first steps towards deeper involvement with God because the Psalms give us a new possibility for prayer. They invite full disclosure. They enable us to bring our conversation with feelings and thoughts that most of us think we need to get rid of before God will be interested in hearing from us. The Psalms teach us uh, that profound change happens always in the presence of God.
I love that. Profound change happens always in the presence of God. So bring what you have. Over and over, they attest to the reality that when we open our minds and hearts fully to God who made them, then we open ourselves, whether we know it or not, to the possibility of being transformed beyond our imagining. So wherever you are right now, if you're alone, uh, listening on the train, if you're gathering together with a small group in, in your in your house, um, if you're just with your family, if you're taking care of someone who's in a particularly challenging, vulnerable place right now, and you're watching or listening together, I just want to know that it is a noble work to keep up the work of prayer and praise and petition and lament. Prayer, praise, petition, lament. You find them all through the Psalms, the full range of human experience, and to do it together is profound. So we're going to look at Psalm 23. And uh, it will be so familiar to many of you. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just read it and just sort of let this wash over you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to look just for a moment at the movements of these of this psalms, um, the movement of this of this psalm, and 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 I want you to know I sort of had this title at the top of my notes that said, "Is this a quaint children's psalm, or is this an anxiety-busting peace manual for all of life?" And uh, maybe it feels like you have to choose between: is this just something we read to kids that's not realistic, but it's meant to give them some sort of you know fantastical hope, or is this a real-life practical peace manual for how to live in in troubled times? And I want to say, I think it's both. It is a quaint children's psalm. It can be heard by the youngest of, 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 of our, our family, friends, believers, neighbors, and yet it is a time-tested anxiety buster, a peace manual for all of life. Uh, so I just want to move through the, uh, you know, the three movements of the psalms r- really quickly. Um, the, it begins, the Lord is my shepherd. And it's interesting, by this point, we're to Psalm 23. It means 22 psalms, if you do math, um, have already come. And uh, I love what Derek Kinder, who's a scholar commentating on this, uh, pointed out to me. I hadn't noticed this before, but this is the first time the metaphor of shepherd is used in, in the, in the uh, prayer book of Israel. It says, the word shepherd, David uses the most comprehensive and intimate metaphor yet encountered in the Psalms, preferring usually the more distant king or deliverer or impersonal rock, shield, etc. Whereas the shepherd lives with his flock and is everything to them, guide, physician, and protector. I just thought that was so powerful. And if you want to look at just the different like seasons of life that are represented in the Psalm, this is how we're going to break it down into a couple of movements. The first is we can come to, to the shepherd in times of rest and refreshment. Uh, we can come to the shepherd in times of confusion and fear, and we can come to the shepherd in times of attack and when our future seems contested. And so just really quickly to move to move through this, um, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. This is a contentment um, that I think is a little bit different than complacency. It's not saying I've never had any wants. I'm not going to have any, any wants going forward. It's saying that I know the most 
deep level primary uh, longings and needs of my soul are going to be met in communion with Yahweh, who's not some distant rock or shield from me, but is actually uh, living with me as my guide, protector, my physician, is, is intimately connected to my well-being. And this is one of the things that I think is so, so powerful. Sometimes Yahweh will institute rest for you, even when you're not ready for it. I, I saw a psalm that was, or a poem that was being shared around um, around this situation that we're in uh, with this pandemic going on. Uh, a few friends, pastor friends were sharing it yesterday and it was like, what if we treated this pandemic like um, like Sabbath? What if we, we considered it like a, a moment where we're being forced to rest, we're being forced to dial back our normal activity, we're being, we're being forced to lie down in green pastures. Interestingly, uh, I was in Prospect Park yesterday and it would have been very difficult to know that we were in the middle of any kind of crisis because the park was absolutely packed. Many people were taking the opportunity uh, to lie down in green pastures and the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, and he will institute rest for us. And sometimes he will invite us in or even draw us into rest in a time when we uh, wouldn't necessarily choose it on our own. It says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet water. So we see a picture of rest. We also see a picture of soul refreshment. And this is something that I've wrestled with uh, over the years as a follower of Jesus. I have a list of things that I think bring me soul refreshment. <laughs> but actually, uh, and quite honestly, a lot of those, the f- top of the, the list it, it are things that feel like they're born out of entitlement, maybe even out of selfishness. I deserve this. I've been working hard. I deserve this. This is really stressful thing is going on. And I think this is going to refresh my soul. And so often when I take the selfish route, I actually find that my soul is just as irritable and discontent after engaging in that than, than before. And I have to remember, the Lord is my shepherd. He knows what actually fills my soul, what actually refreshes my spirit. So I can trust him to bring deep soul level relational satisfaction to me by trusting him with my desires and needs. And this psalm says, he gives me rest. He gives me soul refreshment and he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. I think that what that's saying is that God will give us practical, uh, moment-by-moment direction if we ask for it in, 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 in our lives. And the reason is because we are intimately connected to His name, His word, His character. He will prove His integrity and faithfulness. That doesn't mean that we're not going to walk through dark times as we're about to see or challenged times as we're going to see later in the psalm. But we can trust He will give us guidance. So if you are in need of rest, if you are in need of soul refreshment, if you are in need of guidance... Put the words of this psalm in your mouth and pray them to God with confidence in the shepherd of Israel, in the uh, covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, who gives it. The second movement of the psalm, so the first is um, that when we are in need of times of rest and refreshment, when we need that contentment that's a little bit different than complacency, we can come here. The second movement is um, this is a psalm uh, for times of confusion and, 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 uh, and fear. I think this is pointing to a peace that is not an escape. What I find really inspiring by the the account of Rodney Stark about the rise of early Christianity was that when the trouble hit in the first century Roman Empire, the Christians didn't flee. They stayed where they were and they said, how can we take this opportunity to to love one another, to care uh, for our neighbors, to to be present? And of course, that doesn't mean if you you had travel planned or you need to be out of the city uh, right now that you've, you've copped out in some way. I don't mean that at all. I just mean our spirit is to move outward towards our neighbor, even in these challenging, difficult times, of course, washing our hands and keeping three feet. But um, 
This is peace that is not an escape. Listen to the language. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. What's the defining characteristic of the darkest valley? That, that God is with us, that Yahweh is present to us. Your rod and your staff comfort me. When I think about what darkness brings, it is a lack of vision, right? You turn off the lights in your room and you grope around for where to go because even something that was familiar just a moment ago now seems totally foreign and you have to move at a slower pace. Dark, darkness it, it distorts and, and, and challenges our vision. It can bring not too long after, after uh, changing how we see things. It can bring immense amounts of discouragement. Some of you may have been facing that this week. What am I going to do about my job? Well, it, it, it if you're in the gig economy and it's like everything's being canceled, what am I going to do? Like my vision is being challenged. I feel tremendously discouraged. And maybe right on the heels of that comes despair. And we are not alone in the fact that for, for generations of followers of God, we still have to walk through periods of darkness. That uh, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, um, I'm not going to fear, fear evil. It's not going to be my primary response because you are with me. Even when my vision is blurred or, 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 or I can't see, even when I'm in the midst of discouragement and, and despair, and it's, it gives us these two resources. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, right? And the, the shepherd metaphor is there that a rod and a staff would have, been, would have been present to guide the sheep when they couldn't see. So essentially the picture is when normal resources aren't present, that God's presence and word to us can be like a rod and a staff where we don't see the full picture, like, like Joseph's brothers you know, with the silver in the back. We don't see the full picture, but we can vent our souls to a God who does see the full picture. When we feel tremendously discouraged, we can, we can vent to a God who puts courage in our souls or to our brothers and sisters in Christ who help to encourage or put courage in us. When we have a sense of despair, we realize that we are those who are holding on tremendously uh, to the hope of resurrection. So times of rest and refreshment, times of confusion and fear, and lastly, movement of the Psalms is times of attack and a contested future. Um, this essentially is holding out for us promises that are invulnerable to change. Our whole world is vulnerable to change, as, as we see, right? The fabric um, can feel a little thin in, 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 difficult, in difficult times. Um, but it says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of, of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These are promises that are not vulnerable, that God is going to keep even in the midst of, of, of change. And so uh, I just want you to meditate on that in times where you feel attacked and you, in times where we feel our future is contested, we can hold on to this promise that God is able to prepare a meal for us even in the presence of our enemies. And we have the benefit of knowing the full story. So we flash forward to thinking about Jesus with his disciples on the night he was betrayed, knowing that even someone who was going to betray him is sitting in that room. The, the Lord's Supper is a meal for us that we can take even in the presence of enemies. And it has the power to turn enemies into neighbors, enemies into friends. Uh, because the sacrificial love of Jesus, the broken body and shed blood of Christ and covenant faithfulness did that for us. Romans says, when we were enemies, Christ died for us. He, he brought us in. He made us, um, he made us family. And so uh, we know that not only does this psalm say God can, but he does prepare a meal for us in the most unlikely of circumstances. When you're surrounded, when your future is being contested, you're attacked, God says, all right, let's have a picnic right here. 
What, what an incredible uh, image. What an incredible picture meant to stir our hearts. The Lord's Supper is a meal in the presence of enemies. And the Lord's house, even if it's in an apartment, even if it's a couple of people gathering together, walking through the park, even if it's you looking uh, at Version Bible app on your phone and checking a devotional, the Lord's house and presence is our eternal hope. So we began this, song, uh, this, this look through the psalm saying that this is the first moment where um, God is called a shepherd in, in the prayer book of Israel. And so I just want to remind you really quickly as we close who this shepherd is. Uh, this shepherd is Yahweh, of course, but this shepherd also comes to us uh, in a tremendous way in the person of Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Nothing that I most essentially need will be withheld from me even if I die because of the life and death and resurrection of the good shepherd. In John 10, Jesus uh, gives us this picture of, of the shepherd, who the shepherd really is. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come to me before are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Hear this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The, the wolf attacks and the flock, the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Christ says. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus has laid down his life for the sheep. Um, you can know in the midst of whatever we're dealing with as a country, as a community, as individuals, that this shepherd has become our friend. He hasn't just called us servants. He's become uh, our friend. He says, I love, greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. And Christ has embodied that, which means, which means we can embody that. We can lay down our lives for one another. We can let, uh, of course, our own health and safety is going to be a serious concern in, in moments like this, but it doesn't have to be our primary concern. We can take the proper precautions and we can still move towards one another in love. Even if we have to keep distancing, we don't have to isolate. We can move towards one another and show the covenant love of God. Bend the grace that we receive from God, like we talk about all the time, towards uh, one another. The, the reality is the, sh the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus, the good shepherd, he has moved our judgment day from event that was going to be in the future to something that's already happened in the past. Christ on the cross laying down his life for the sheep has taken judgment on himself for us, has taken death on himself for us, has taken the brokenness of this world on himself for us so that our judgment and the fear of it has been moved into the past with Christ. And so we are absolutely and totally gospel free in Christ, hidden in the good shepherd. So he has laid down his life for us. We can lay down our lives for one another. So this psalm says, surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. Surely I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those are the two promises I want you to hold on to because they are not vulnerable to social change, to viruses, to um, to anything that might come up in our life. Goodness and mercy will follow you as, as you're united to Christ all the days of your life. No set of circumstances, no matter how challenging, can keep us from the reality of God's goodness and love being present in my life. So many times we pass through the worst moments of our life and we look back and we see powerful shining examples that goodness and love were still 
present with us. Goodness and love, we're still there. And you can be uh, a, 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 an agent of that in your life, in your community, in, in this moment. And then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Literally nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing on earth, nothing at all can separate us. Read Romans 8 as a powerful reminder. These are two promises that you can absolutely hold on to. Jesus with his disciples at the end of the Gospel of John said, Listen, in this world you are going to have trouble. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. It's just another way of saying this, this uh, psalm, which is an anxiety buster, which is a peace manual for all of life. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He walks with me in whatever situation of life I find myself in. So let me pray for you and let's move in, in the confidence of this prayer, this old prayer, this prayer that works for kids and works for people at the end of their life and all in between, this song that we can put in our mouths and take up confidence in Yahweh who's become the good shepherd of Jesus and laid down his life for us. You are not alone. God is with you. We are, we are together in, in the midst of this. Let me pray for you and we'll continue uh, to be the church as we go forward uh, in this challenging and uncertain time. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the church that is gathered in homes, that is listening on, on, on headphones, um, that is uh, uh, scattered across this city and scattered across the world. I've just, um, it's been so interesting and overwhelming on some level and beautiful on another level to see how many people are rallying together to change our rhythms and to, to try to care for one another and try to do things differently in a quick and, and efficient way uh, to, to be loved to one another. And I just pray you would pour out your love on everyone who's looking to you right now. I pray um, that your mercy would, would, would reign um, over our city, over our world. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would slow and stop the spread of this virus. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would flatten the curve, God, that you would you would uh, help return us to, to health and normalcy as a society, God, but that along the way we would remember our dependence on you, our need for you, our need for one another. I pray that we could take up the words of this psalm and be deeply comforted by you, God. I pray that you would be so near to us that you are the good shepherd. You've laid down your life for us. I pray peace. Uh, amongst all who are, who are listening at Trinity Grace, God, would you let your peace, which is beyond human understanding, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus in this time. May we take care of one another well. May we, may we be those who are broken and poured out for our neighbors uh, in these challenging times. So we need your mercy to rain down over this entire situation. We need your grace to be present in all the details. Uh, we need you to guide us and show us the way that we are to live. But we also trust that you will. We, we look to you. Our eyes are to you. We pray, uh, we hear your word uh, in the name of Jesus. Amen.